the world has changed. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. For now, none now live who remember it. Those are the opening lines of what is arguably one of the greatest fantasy movies of all time, based on the greatest fantasy novel series of all time, and yet they could be easily be inserted in the true story of humanity directly following the events of Genesis chapter 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. The world is changed. Just as those powerful rings in Tolkien's novel were dispersed with the promise of strength and wisdom and authority, so the fatal choice at the outside of our, outside of our history was laced with this dream of becoming godlike, of becoming like the Creator. And just as devastating was the reality that they were all of them deceived. For the outcome of that decision was the unleashing of a force so sinister, so powerful, so as to have mastery over everything within its grasp. It brought corruption. It brought suffering. It brought slavery. It brought despair. It brought hatred for the maker and a deep-rooted desire to suppress suppress what is true and manipulate and twist anything that he made good into something else. The world is changed. And you and I with it. You and I are no exception. What has inspired the creative minds behind countless works of fiction is the all-too-real story of humanity, that non-fictional tale of the crown jewel of all creation which traded glory for garbage. <laughs> Human beings traded awe and passion and reliance and enjoyment of their creator to be enslaved to the passions of their own flesh. Whereas their love for God brought, brought security and peace, and joy, and life, their pursuit of those very same things apart from God, on their own terms and in their own way, brought the exact opposite. Instability, unrest, misery, poverty, violence, and death. The world is changed. The Bible tells us that humanity was terminally impacted cut off from the good maker, spiritually dead, following the course of destruction. And now, in the, in the crosshairs, 
destined for the full unleashing of God's wrath. And someone says, wrath, are you serious? How can you believe in a God who gets angry? And to that I reply, how can you not believe in a God who gets angry? How how can you believe in 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 a mom or dad who doesn't stand up and fight off anything that comes to threaten or attack or endanger their child? How can you not believe in a mom or dad like that? Does anyone want an attorney who's not going to fight to ensure that they get justice? Am I right? And who doesn't want to see the horrific evils like the ones that we've seen recently in Buffalo, New York, and in Laguna Woods, and at the elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, not to mention all of the ongoing violence that takes place each and every day on the streets of Los Angeles and New York City and Chicago, who doesn't want to see those brought to swift and sure justice? The God not filled with wrath for the the, the wrongs that are being done in the good world that he created is not a God I could trust or rely on or even want to know in any way, shape, or form. No, the Bible is very, very clear that, that God is a God of love and justice or wrath. He's the whole package in absolute perfection, and that's good. That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. Trouble is, trouble is the Bible also says that we are, all of us, objects of his wrath. If we've broken from his way to go our own way, if if we've tugged and twisted and manipulated his good design to fit our own liking, if we've said no to his authority, then we've we've put ourselves in a position to face his wrath. It's the way it works. It's the reality that you and I were born into. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. That's a different God than the God of this world and the God that so many people are promoting these days. Isaiah 26, 12 says, For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And some will say, no way. Not my God. I don't believe in a God like that. God is love. He's, he's just pure love. He, he loves you no matter what you think, what you say, what you do. He loves you just the way you are. And to that, Ephesians 5, 6 replies, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Friends, that's us. That's the state of our world. A world that's turned away from its maker, cut off in opposition to under the wrath of God, awaiting the end of all his patience and the full force of his justice that will one day be experienced. The world, the good world that God created is changed. But God 
two words lifted from Paul's letter to that Mediterranean city of Ephesus that fundamentally changed the destinies of all who would receive the hope that was sent. Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The world has changed you and I were a part of it. We're a part of it. We're, we shared the same fate as it, but by the awesome hand of the Savior born into it, the world would change once more. And a great disparity would begin. Once united but by the sh shared existence in sin and darkness, now there would be a community of people brought into the light. Yes, many still in darkness, but some brought into the light. Once there was this common urge to go our own way, fight for survival, tear one another to pieces, now some would turn away. They'd turn away from the passions of their flesh. They'd submit to God's authority, sacrificially love his people, live all out for his glory. Peter begins this letter that we've been studying, 1 Peter. He begins addressing the people he's writing to. He calls them the, those elect exiles of the dispersion. This letter that we're reading, that we're studying, this letter is not to everyone. This is to those who have been called out. Those who have been set apart. Those who have been forever changed. And if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you bowed yourself in submission to his rule, to his reign in your life, you are among those people. This is so important for us to understand. You are not the same as everyone else. You now have a distinct identity. Peter says, you're the chosen, you're the ransomed, you're, you're the forgiven, you're, you're being built into a spiritual house, a holy and royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, a holy nation. You have a new identity, a distinct identity, a distinct purpose as well. Along with your distinct identity, you have this purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out and into the light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You are distinct. The world has changed. You are changed. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and spoke to God the Father Concerning those who would be saved by him, he says in John 17, 14, I have given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world 
just as I am not of the world. If Jesus Christ is your hope and you belong to him, then for you, the world is changed. You are changed. You're here. You're living in this world. You, you, you encounter the world daily. You face the world each and every day. You're living alongside people who belong to this world, but you don't belong to this world. And that kind of puts you in a precarious spot, doesn't it? It's kind of awkward. It's a little uncomfortable, or at least it should be. If, if this is the reality, and that is the case, then you need to know how to live in this world to which you no longer belong. Who's your friend? Who's your enemy? What are the boundaries? What are the threats? What are the dangers? What are the goals? How do you live in a world to which you no longer belong? How do Christians live in a world that is no longer their home? Our passage for today, 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 12, it helps us answer that question. Here it is. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. How do Christians live in a world that is no longer their home? Two aspects to consider. The first is, is this, this arena of the internal, our internal, personal, private lives. And then there is the arena of the external or our public lives. In both arenas, there is, there's conflict. In both arenas, there is a threat. In public, there's a world filled with people who look at you as their enemy. Peter says they will speak against you as evildoers. What do you do with that? How do you live with that? That's real. That's observable, isn't it? We see that kind of talk taking shape in our world these days, don't we? And Christians, they're, they're dealing with it in all kinds of different ways. They're responding to it in different ways. We'll talk about that. But there's another arena, one that is even more important and more crucial and more threatening to your very existence, and that is this internal arena. And that's where we're going to spend the most of our time this morning discussing the internal fight. There is a crucial posture that every Christian must take if they're going to survive, and it is this. As those who no longer belong in this world, Christians must guard against deadly internal cravings. Peter wrote, I urge you, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Another way to translate that, translate that would be to say aliens and strangers. These people live here, uh, but they don't belong here. Christians live here, but they don't belong here. Paul told the church in the Greek city of Philippi, he said, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like soldiers living on foreign soil or E.T. spending the night in Elliot's house, Christians, they belong somewhere else, not here. They're just visiting. They're just passing through. And soon they'll find themselves in their real home for the very first time. That, that eternal kingdom, which, which they will be in for all eternity. 
of which this life and this world is just a dim, dim reflection. But it's so, so crucial, it's so critically important, and what is so seldom recognized these days is that the world where we find ourselves in right now, we're not here to vacation. There are a lot of people vacationing this weekend. A lot of people out there celebrating Memorial Day. But this life is not a vacation. This is not a place to rest or recreate. So many people who go to church, they have that impression that, that faith in Christ is somehow just a nice additive uh, to the good life. Or it's the secret to living a good life here and now. That Jesus is kind of like adding a, a, a dash of salt to an already good piece of meat. You know what I mean? He's there to enhance. He's there to bring out the flavor. He's there to help you get the most out of an already wonderful life. It is a wonderful life, isn't it? Thank you, Jimmy Stewart. That's not the Jesus of the Bible or the story of Christianity. No, when Christ comes calling, he calls you out. He calls you out of darkness, out of the poison, out of the destructive former way that led you away from your creator and back to health and life and peace and joy. German pastor, theologian, anti-Nazi dissident Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The people that Peter was writing to, they could have related to that. Oh boy, could they have related to that. Because the decision to follow Jesus Christ was a very costly one. We've mentioned that before. It cost them some of the relationships that they had had. Friends, family. It cost them opportunities, jobs, homes, hopes dreams. It cost them their health in many cases, in many cases their lives, as continues to be, be the case in many parts of our world today, possibly coming to a neighborhood near you very, very soon. But for all the danger that could be clearly seen on the outside, Peter wanted these Christians to know that there is another threat that they needed to recognize and fight on the inside. When we turned away from our maker, our, our, our veins flowed with toxic, uh, stimulating desires. Yes, very stimulating desires, very exciting desires, but they wreaked havoc on our souls, kind of like a methamphetamine powerfully gives this superhuman, euphoric energy, and yet ravages the body and mind. In the same way, the passions of the flesh, as Peter refers to them, these fallen internal human desires, they're deceptively attractive, but fight against your new identity and life in Christ. That's, that's the stuff that fueled you before you came to Jesus. You were dead, right? That's what Paul writes in Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in what? In the passions of our flesh. There's that phrase again. 
the passions of our flesh. Meth is the stuff that makes you dead. The passions of the flesh have the same effect. Christian, there's something of that old, rebellious, sinful you that lurks inside. It's a reality. It's there right now. It's a powerful force that is fighting against you. It's threatening to kill you. It feels very natural. Oh, yes. It, it, it feels very attractive. It's very inviting. But it will ravage you. It will devastate you and the ones you love. If you've been called out of this world, called, called out of darkness and into the light, if you've been rescued from the, the consequences of those passions of the flesh, then you need to realize that you have a fight on your hands. You're in a fight. Do you recognize that? Do you know it? You're in a fight each and every day. In Tolkien's epic, there was this uh, dark kingdom, right? Dark kingdom, waging war. But for the protagonist, this small, unlikely hero, the enemy, it wasn't just lurking on the outside in the form of riders in black or, or orcs or, or goblins or wizards or, or whatever. But the enemy was right there, dangling on a little chain, often kept in his pocket. The glittering golden ring which beckoned him, called to him, urged him to make it his one and only affection. It sought to persuade him. It, it wasn't the enemy. No, 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 no. I'm your salvation. It was his protection. All he needed to do was take it and slip it on his finger. He could hide from anything dangerous out there, anything that came calling. And therein was the great deception. And using the ring, he, he, he surrendered himself to the, the eye and power of the enemy. Peter writes, beloved, I, I urge you. I, I urge you. Have you ever urged someone? As strongly as you can, you're using everything you've got to persuade them either to do something or to not do something. You're urging them. And Peter says to you and to me, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. My friends, if you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are now in a fight and as you continue to your stay in a world that is not your home, there's something of this old world that lies within you that is fighting, maliciously, ferociously attacking your new spiritual life in Christ. The passions of the flesh are there. What are they? Well, Peter told us already at the beginning of chapter 2. He said, put away all malice and all deceit. And all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Paul lists off a bunch of the actions and attitudes that, that, that the passions of the flesh lead us towards when he was writing his letter to the Galatians. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, sorcery enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa, 
<laughs> Paul. That's pretty strong language, Paul. Why won't these people who you know, do some of these kind of things, why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Because these are the very things that lead away from God. They're what led you away from God in the first place. And if someone who calls themselves a Christian freely indulges in, in these or, or, or obeys, obeys these kinds of cravings without, without a deep sense of remorse and, and grave sorrow and a beckoning voice within urging them to confess and repent and make it right, there's a good chance they may not really belong to Christ, but still belong to this world. Oh, that's concerning. These are the ways that are, are, are divergent from God's good design, and, and, and somehow, some way, we become very, very comfortable with them living in this world that is not our home because it's just, you look around, and this is just normal. Normal. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's what the prophet Isaiah wrote in 53 6. Mark them well. Have them on your radar. Pay careful attention to their allure in your life. Abstain from them because they will terrorize. Paul says it as strongly as I think it can be said in Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put them to death is the call. Back in the early days of youth ministry, I, I had this amazing thought. What, what if, wouldn't it be amazing if you could create a video game where you, you go out there and you kill the passions of the flesh? I mean, this would be amazing. Finally, I get to kill something, and it's okay to kill something. But, but then I realized that, that if you're killing the passions of the flesh in a video game, then you're probably looking around corners, dodging around boxes, and then you're seeing the passions of the flesh, and you're like, oh my goodness, I probably shouldn't look at those things. Taste my grenade launcher, passions of the flesh, sexual immorality, I'm taking you to... Oh wait, I don't think I should be looking at sexual immorality, I should probably not play this video game. It doesn't really work. Put to death, he says though. In a very real sense, there is a search and destroy mission we need to be on the lookout for. Not indulging in, not, not searching on our phones. Okay, let's find some sexual immorality here. I'm going to put this to death right now. No, no, that's ridiculous. But we need to be watching for it because the desires are creeping up within us. We need to be praying like David prayed, search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. 
see if there be any grievous way in me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Why? Because it's all too easy to fall unwittingly fall, unwittingly fall to those passions of our flesh that lurk inside. So easy for us to be blindsided, isn't it? On the outside, we could feel like we're okay. We're doing very well. We could fool ourselves into thinking, well, I just did this over here, and I did this over here, and I served here, and I gave to charity over here, and I was helped a lady across the street, or I was nice to my, my brother or sister or, or whatever. I forgave someone the other day. Look how good a person I am. Pastors actually do this all the time. All the time. They're helping people with their problems. They're up here preaching sermons. They're, they're building up the church. They're giving to those in need. They're giving everyone the, the perception that they're really good people. Sometimes their congregations look at them and they say, wow, if I could only be like that, or at least he's good, you know, and because of all the good things that they do, they actually feel like good people. And yet, so very often on the inside, in their personal life, in their private life, in their inner life, in the hidden moments, they find themselves giving in to all sorts of things that people don't see, all sorts of death-dealing passions. The public persona, it tells them they're okay. They're okay. People say it all the time. Oh, you're just, we're so happy you're our pastor. I hear that and I appreciate it. I'm not taking that for granted. Please don't misunderstand me. But if they start believing it and start thinking, I am okay. I am, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know I struggle here and there. But, you know, I'm doing really well. I'm a lot better than everybody else. And we play a comparison game. Their soul wastes away because they failed to guard against deadly internal Cravings. What are some of them again? Warped sexual desires, impure thoughts, sensuality. We often go to those things and we think about those things. We see it a lot in our world these days, but there are others. Many, many others. Idolatry was, is essentially trusting in, relying upon, worshiping anything more than God, often money, sometimes things, sometimes people. Paul lists off sorcery. Enmity, which is hostility towards others. Boy, sometimes we feel our hostility is so righteous, and we just want to let that anger loose. We want to get aggressive because we think that we're going to do something good for the kingdom of God. Strife, he mentions, to disagree and oppose others in a bitter and angry manner. Jealousy, he, he goes on and on, and so could we. We saw it in the news just this past week. Un unbelievable. I've been struggling with this all week. What we heard about the executive board of the Southern Baptist Convention and the cover-up that has gone on, the sexual misconduct that has gone for years and years. This stuff is evil. This stuff is the passions of the flesh let loose and covered up under a cloak of righteousness. No way. But before we start just pointing fingers at people in high places, we've got to remember, friends, it's not just pastors that fall. Why is it that so many who have called themselves Christians fall prey to the enemy? Why is it that so many of us are seeing our children just slipping off into the darkness? Why is it that our marriages are plagued with hurt and, and, and bitterness and distance and distrust? Why is it that they just fall apart and explode? Why is it that we're suspicious of one another? We see something come through in an email or text message, immediately we're ready to fight. 
Why is it that we stab each other with our razor-sharp tongues? Why is it we find ourselves crouching in the shadows, enslaved to secret sins? It's so easy to look on the outside of ourselves, isn't it? So easy to look outside. It's so easy to point out all the other ways that people are they're self-destructing their lives over there. Oh, I can see it. We might pontificate about how bad people are. We might be passionate in, in the public square. Uh, we're, we're opposing this, and we're opposing that, and we're supporting this and that, and not this person, but that person. We aren't bashful when it comes to what we think is right and what we think is wrong outside of ourselves. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty wrong out there. And if we're going to look like our maker, we, we actually should be angry at the things that are wrong outside of us. And within our scope and power, do all we can to bring things into alignment with his word and what pleases him. And yet for, for all of our passionate, our, our passionate efforts to point out all and fight all of the evils that we see outside of ourselves, you would think that we would be somehow winning this, this, this war out there. You would think that truth and justice and right and good would be rising up all around us. The world's coming into alignment with God, and yet what we see over and over again is person after person after person exposed and fallen. Why? Because we failed to recognize the presence and ferocity of an enemy within. Peter says this, this enemy wages war against our souls. <laughs> it, it, it attacks and seeks to destroy our innermost selves. We can get up on the soapbox. We can plaster our social media with the things that we're for and the things that we are against. We can leave Bible studies. We can serve on worship teams. We can fight for righteous causes, for freedom. We can fight to end racism, the abolishment of the murder of, of children who have yet to be born. But we can still find our souls ravaged because we have failed to acknowledge or wage war with the enemy that is within and if you're like me, you look out at the world and you see the headlines, you see the news, and it is heartbreaking. You see it changing. You see it crumbling. You see it just falling apart all around you. But as we said several weeks ago, and we've got to say it again, the fundamental transformation that the world needs is one that takes place first here, right within human hearts. And so long as we ignore the enemy within, we can kiss goodbye any lasting change outside of ourselves. I heard a pastor recently call out other evangelical Christian pastors suggesting that they are the ones to blame for the decline of our society. Everyone sees the decline of our society. You see it all over the place. It's pastors that are to blame. It's pastors that are to blame because they have not gotten political enough, haven't gotten their, rallied their congregations to get involved in politics and to fight this bill or that bill, go protest here or there. I think, he's, I think he's missing something. If there is any blame to be thrown in the direction of American pastors, I don't think it's because they've shied away from politics. It's because they have neglected to urge the members of their congregations to stand up and fight for holiness beginning first and fighting the hardest 
the battlefield of their own hearts. Abortion? You better believe we should stand against the murder of those who have been made in God's image. But what good is it if we don't stand up and fight the passions of our flesh which wage war against our souls? Souls that have been made in the image of God and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is this too heavy for a Sunday morning? <laughs> How am I supposed to go to lunch after this? <laughs> The time for being a Christian only in name has passed. The days of throwing on a, a Christian t-shirt or letting that little cross dangle around our necks without truly swearing allegiance to Jesus Christ and laying down our lives, picking up his cross and devoting ourselves to fighting hard for holiness, putting to death the passions of our, our flesh for the sake of his glory. Those days are gone. Let the words cultural and convenient Christian never be said about us. The time has come to say no to the weak, sissified, self-indulgent, me-centered, lazy, pleasure-seeking, surrender-loving mentality. It's time to recognize we are pilgrims in an unholy land. It's time to wake up and realize that the world has changed. It is so changed. And all of its former allure, we need to see those promising diversions as what they really are, empty and meaningless. It's time for us to cling tightly to the reality that we have changed. We have changed. We don't belong here anymore. We have another kingdom, an eternal kingdom that we belong to. Every moment we breathe, we're headed one step closer to it. We're not the same anymore. Our life isn't fueled by the former passions of our flesh. We don't belong here anymore. Just before he died, the great King David whispered something, powerful words, to the son who would succeed him. In 2 Kings, or 1 Kings 2, he said, I am about to go the way of all the earth, which is a fancy way of saying I'm about to die. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. To us men, what we have come to, to understand about manhood and about a, a macho mentality, it's time to take that and to say, I'll see you later. Strength isn't about the ounces of meat that hangs from our bones. <laughs> it's not about how big the tires are on our cars, how many four-letter words we can pack into a sentence, or people we can cut off on the freeway. It's about keeping the charge of the Lord our God inside first and letting it flow out, and, and living this life in preparation for the coming eternal kingdom to which we really belong. And friends, when it comes to defying the passions of the flesh, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, boy or girl, what matters is that you are in Christ, that he is your savior, he's your master, his spirit is alive and powerfully present within you, enabling you to abstain from the passions of your, our flesh. 
in a world that's running towards darkness, loving evil, hating what is good. It's time for warrior saints to rise up and live all out for the coming kingdom. Where are the warrior saints? The broken, the bleeding knees from countless hours spent on the ground pleading before the throne of grace. Where are the fighters? whose teeth grind and fists just clench in ferocious resistance to the cravings of the flesh? Where are the bold and courageous who plunge that flaming sword of sacred truth into the despicable lies that come out them each and every day? Where's that expectant mother who fends off fear Fends off fear, stares an uncertain future in the face, loosens her grip on all of her childhood dreams for the sake of caring and raising up a new image bearer of God, regardless of how it was conceived. Where's the childless woman who defies self-pity and refuses despair and faithfully relies on and selflessly serves her Savior? Where's that high school student who says no to the popularity scene? don't care about that. No to those glossy images of sexual gratification. No to authority balking, self-promoting, attention-getting tactics of the day. And yes, to submission to the righteous calling of their maker. Where's the young married couple that refuses to focus on what they don't have, refuses to be envious of their neighbors, and walks hand-in-hand in joyful gratitude and God-glorifying purposeful generosity towards those that God leads into their path? Where's the middle-aged man or woman who refuses to dwell on what they haven't accomplished yet or, or don't have or haven't experienced yet, and they count everything loss compared to the awesome privilege of knowing Jesus Christ their Lord? Where, where are those whose, whose bones are, are, are tired, <laughs> whose muscles are weak, who've, who've laid the few days that they have left and the little time that they have left at the feet of their Savior, so that every remaining drop of strength, every moment of time, might be used, might be poured out in service to his glory. This is is real. The world is changed as God has designed it. It's going its own way. It's going a way. (laughs) But if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't belong to it anymore. Let's not live like we do. Let's abstain from those old inner passions that belong to it. Let's let's resolve to get up each and every morning and immerse ourselves in God's truth and plead for a day of victory. Let's begin committing to memory, filling the the space in our, our brains with God's truth, hiding his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Let's band together with other trusted believers to look each other in the eye, to ask brutal questions, to preach the gospel to one another, and build each other up for the fight. Let's, let's as Jesus said, <laughs> Cut out that eye and get rid of that arm that's causing us to sin. No, not literally mutilate yourself, but perhaps consider getting rid of those precious things that might be tantalizing your inner passions and leading you toward sin. This is tough. Is it a screen 
a cell phone, a gaming console, <laughs> social media account? Is it a circle of people that you hang in or an activity that you perform regularly? Is it a beverage? Is it a substance? Whatever it is, it's not worth the war that ignites in your soul and the possibility of being turned away at the gates of heaven and refused an eternal kingdom. As those who no longer belong to this world, Christians must guard against the deadly internal cravings. They're, that's the internal fight. Point number two. <laughs> now, because of the importance of number one, we'll, we're just going to mention number two. But I'd like to invite you, spend the week meditating on this, thinking about it, praying about it. Are you in a fight? Have you taken that fight seriously? I'm reminded that I need to fight harder. The external fight is one that Peter is going to help us think through in the, in the weeks ahead, actually in the next several messages that we preach. It's this, as those who no longer belong to this world, Christians must outwardly live out the otherworldly character of Christ. He writes, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. When it comes to fighting our, our world, it, it, it has some rather graphic ideas of what fighting looks like. It looks like raising our voices. It looks like playing dirty, fighting fire with fire, sometimes resorting to violence or slander, or spreading malicious rumors. The external fight that Peter calls Christians to looks a lot different from most of that. It looks like the way Jesus fought. Very, very bold, but very, very Christ-like and God-honoring. It results not in brawls and bruisings, but in an undeniable acknowledgement of God and that he is glorious. Enough said for now. The world has changed. It's changed. Hold tight to that reality. As those who no longer belong in this world, Christians, guard against the deadly internal cravings and outwardly live out the otherworldly character of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, to be able to call you Father and to, as in the very first word of our passage this morning, to be called Beloved, that is monumental. You have changed us. We were going the way of everything and everyone else, headed on a path towards utter destruction, and you, like Abraham, called us out and to yourself. Lord, we do not take any credit for that. We do not take pride in that, but we are in awe because of that. Your goodness is amazing. And so often, Lord, we look at our world and we feel so very small and we feel so very insignificant and we feel like we're losing a battle here and, and it's, it's all for naught. Lord, may we as your people who have been called out of darkness and into your marvelous light, who are chosen, who are precious in your sight, who are a holy nation, part of an eternal kingdom, may we live 
that reality each and every day, understanding that we do not belong here, that we are distinct, that we are headed for glory, and that we live here in a world that is not our home, Lord, for, for the days that we have left, Lord. May you help us to do battle with those internal cravings that remain, those voices inside, those desires inside that keep calling us back to what leads away from you. And may we say no. Lord, may not, this not, not be just some, some little diversion that we do every once in a while. May we realize that this is a fight for each and every day. May we be on our knees this afternoon and tomorrow morning pleading, Lord, that you do a transformational work, that you guard and fortify our hearts and our minds with Scripture, Lord, by prayer, by your Holy Spirit, that you might give us the courage to say no and yes to everything that is good. Lord, I pray for your people. Lord, the church in America, there is compromise all over the place. There is weakness all over the place. But Lord, this people in this room, this little place called, this little outpost called Bethany Bible Fellowship, Lord, may we be a people that take this seriously. Our identity in you, our purpose to bring glory to you. And may it begin, Lord, within our very own hearts. We love you. And we thank you. We long to be with you when we so look forward to the millennia, the trillions and trillions of years that will be spent in your presence and with each other in a world that far surpasses what we see here and now. Thank you, Lord, for that hope. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus, for his glory. Amen.